Coming up next on the Public Radio Hour, ever try a crazy idea you're not sure will work? Oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. What are we doing? But then it does work and something amazing happens. We're doing this for our music community. We're doing it to spread all the resources that we can to grow as a community. Stay tuned to learn more about Sluice Fest, what's turned into a local music tradition here in Huntsville. We'll also get an update on the Orion Amphitheater. Now, it seems like, you know, at this point, it's pretty wild because we kind of blew the expectations through the roof. And we'll continue exploring Huntsville's comedy scene with another edition of Funny You Should Ask. And so I feel like it's kind of merged in this beautiful mosaic of, you know, old and new. And, and we've kind of, the dust has settled and we are who we are and we're bigger and stronger than we ever thought we would be. Our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features is next. It's the Public Radio Hour. Stay tuned. This is the Public Radio Hour, produced in the studios of 89.3 WLRA Huntsville Public Radio. It's our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. I'm your host tonight, Brett Tannehill. In the next hour, we'll have some laughs in the latest installment of Katie Ganaway's series, Funny You Should Ask, as we meet local comedian Christy Montgomery. We'll also get you set for Huntsville's annual local music explosion, also known as Sluice Fest. 36 bands performing this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll hear a conversation between Brad Posey and Sluice Fest organizers Ashley Jackson and Christina Nava. But we'll start with another element of Huntsville's amazing music scene, the Orion Amphitheater, which opened to much fanfare back in May with its all-star-packed first waltz weekend. The amphitheater's general manager, Ryan Murphy, stopped by the WLRH studios to give us an update on what's happened and what's to come. That first waltz weekend, because that was uh, so much my baby in a lot of ways and um, helping put that together. There are so many moments just because that was such a, um, you know, cracking it wide open for what we were going to be doing. So the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, they all kind of blended together into being this perfect storm of like exactly what we want to do with that amphitheater. So almost every moment in those three days, you know, seeing uh, Mavis Staples was a big one, her being there and having David Hood fill in on bass and seeing their interaction backstage. You know, it was, it was, you know, a ton of people came from out of town, like Marcus Mumford, Maggie Rogers, like a ton of friends and family, a lot of Nashville people, a lot of agents came in town. So there was a, a real celebration backstage and, um, and in front of house, like to see the community come out and especially on that Sunday, I think Sunday of first waltz and seeing all the camp to amp stuff that was happening. And, you know, on Saturday, there's just the larger community piece of that weekend really felt great. And since then, I mean, almost every concert out there I've enjoyed. I mean, just seeing that the sound and the reaction we get from the stage and the artist and kind of getting the feedback at the end of every night has been the best part of it. I mean, granted, it's all been good, so of course that, that feels good. But um, yeah, I just continues to just, I don't know, one moment after another, they, they all kind of blend together, to be honest. And it does seem like it's been a lot of good uh, press so far. Amid that whirlwind of positive press and buzz from the public in the opening weeks, uh, how were you able to leverage that into continued momentum for the Orion? Because it seemed like there was yeah. that first weekend. I mean, all sorts of media outlets across the nation internationally picked it up. What what happened from that? Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. You know, we were out there the last year or so, uh, Ben and I and some of the crew going out to the industry, talking to artists, talking to agents, and talking to the community too, right? And um, really making a lot of promises, you know, saying we were going to, you know, our expectations were pretty high across the board. And, you know, I think what was nice is that big opening for us the first couple months. I mean, we've only been open not even three months now. So I know it seems like forever. <laughs> it seems, yeah, it does seem like forever. Um, now, it seems like, you know, at this point, it's pretty wild because we kind of blew the expectations through the roof. And a lot of the people that were kind of naysaying or kind of, you know, waiting to poke holes in certain things, you know, it was hard to do. So now, not only do we have the attention of the industry and the community and artists and what have you, but it's now we get to keep on riding that momentum. And for us, it's all about taking it to the next level. So 
the the Orion's going to evolve. I mean, the whole point of it is to evolve and to get better every year, to have more diverse programming, to become more inclusive, to have more events that kind of make the, the whole facility feel dynamic. Let's come back and talk about the diversity in, in a moment. Yeah. But, but first, I was just curious, uh, whenever you launch something of this size and magnitude, uh, things never quite go as you plan. There are things unexpected that happened. What are a few of or maybe one or two of the unexpected successes and challenges that you've seen so far? Um, you know, the challenge is interesting. So there's a ton of challenges Um you know, bureaucratically, uh, politically, with the construction, with the budgeting, all that kind of stuff. Like those kind of things kind of started feeling like just all part of the process. You know, of course, there's going to be drama over, I don't know, floor sinks or bathroom stalls or, you know, picking out the tiling in a certain room. So those things, there was times where it felt like that was the most like stressful thing we could be thinking about. But all in all, it was amazing how smooth it went because of the team of people it had like dedicating like absolute like the last few years to this. So I think the big success for me was it's been pretty interesting to watch coming here a few years ago and having people go, Hey, you're raising the bar a little too high. Like we appreciate the design and the aspiration of what you're going to do, but this is a boring city of cheap engineers. You know, they, they just need a Bud Light, and some music and a, you know, a chair and they'll enjoy themselves. And we constantly challenge that with, you know, how we were doing the bar offerings and how we were doing the programming and how we we're laying out the facility, a lot of the aesthetics of the facility, how we message, how we engage. And so I think after opening, we kind of proved the point that it was pretty amazing to watch people really find the unique characteristics of how we operated. That's what they love the most. It's like, I'll, the bathrooms are salmon colored. You know, it's like, it's an interesting thing. And people go, oh, that's pretty cool. Instead of like, oh, that's weird. But um, <laughs> there's certain things that, you know, we've leaned into that we kind of trust. It's pushing Huntsville a little bit. And that's kind of the whole point. So one of the interesting things about the Orion uh, that I like is it is scalable uh, depending on the size of the event. For example, uh, Southern Fried Film Festival is held there. Smaller event, you're able to scale it down. Um, But with that in mind, I'm always curious about what what counts as a sold-out show. It seems like I saw you maybe make a comment about this on Facebook. What is a sold-out show at the Orion, and have you had sold-out shows at the Orion? Yeah, you know, we've had a few sold-out shows. In the industry, it's really tricky because of all the weird resale, dynamic, like premium, all that kind of stuff that ticketing companies are doing, whether it be Ticketmaster, Access, any of them really. So you can sell out a show within a day. Like you can literally sell every single ticket you have in your inventory. But if someone signed up for like a dynamic premium resale option through one of those sites, it could sit there. It's like the whole dilemma what happened with Bruce Springsteen recently, where it's just like people can buy a ticket and then that dynamic resale or premium upsell, they can just flip it right back to the system and resell it. Probably going down the rabbit hole with this one. But it's a major issue in the industry. So we can sell out every single seat and not yet quite call it sold out. So we did get to call Dave Matthews, Kenny Chesney, Chris Stapleton. You know, there's been a few that have been completely sold out. The widespread panic weekend. Yeah, some widespread, like stuff like that. So, you know, we end up selling every ticket in the house. But because it's bench seats, because it's sometimes a GA pit, a seated pit, it's different configuration. So that number goes anywhere from 7,000 to 8,000, depending on how we sell it. But there has been sold out events. There will continue to be. It's just that technicality of whether you can call it sold out or not is a weird thing in the industry. Uh, as the Orion was being built, I guess even before that started, you and I had had a couple of conversations about how local bands and local music would be included in the mix of things that happened at this facility. How has that played out so far with uh, local talent getting on the big stage? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's good. You know, Yellowhammer was able to do their event, which was great, and that incorporated the T-minus festival. Yeah, the yeah. T-minus festival. So that was a great, you could see right there. I think, again, how we did it is similar to how I was doing in St. Augustine, which a lot of times you don't get the local talent directly on the main stage. Like for instance, someone's not going to have the chance to open for Hank Williams Jr. Just because Hank Williams has the stage, he already has an opener. So what we do is we set up, we had a great um, local guy play after Hank Williams in the dome area. And, you know, we had that for a few shows. We continue to have these after parties and a local musician gets to play to like a couple thousand people. And for Hank, it was pretty insane because 
after Hank Jr. Um, and I forget the name of the gentleman who we had. Forgive me for Hank Jr. But after the Hank Jr. show, he was playing for a captive, drunk audience of about 1,500 people just going Which wild. Which is probably for a, a great hours. audience. Oh, for, my Lord. Yeah. yeah, great audience. So, you know, we have those things. and But we're going to continue. The more we lean into, the more the park develops and things develop around Mid-City, the more we're going to have the ability to have these flexible stages. We're going to, you know, we have a stage behind the amphitheater, the artist meadow. We're, we're going to have a stage in the dome. We're going to have stages throughout. So not only is the Orion itself scalable, but we're going to have multiple stages throughout. So we can have smaller festivals and multiple stages. Coming back to this idea of diversity, I know that has been a point of emphasis to feature diverse uh, artists and events. So coming up on September 17th, I see you're hosting a Stomp Out Hunger with Manor House event. Mm-hmm. Uh, on September 23rd, Alabama A&M's theater group, the Bulldog Bards, is presenting a free event called Bard in the Yard, a modern take on Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, so Shakespeare at the Orion, yeah. an event titled Summer Jam featuring legendary rappers Goody Mob, among many others, got rained out and then rescheduled. That's yep. coming up on September 30th. And then on October 8th, you're hosting Rocket City Pride Fest, which is a free event. So Ryan, talk to us a little bit about diversity efforts at the Orion. Are you happy with what's happened so far and what's happening in the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm mildly happy on what's happened so far, but I'm very happy what's being worked on right now. You know, it's um, to me, it's the most important piece of what we do. And I think a lot of times you can say those kind of things and it feels like lip service. But to me, the Dave Matthews, the Kenny Chesney, the Jack Whites, the, you know, the, the concerts that are coming are great. And those, you know, we've put a lot of effort in making sure there's artists playing here, like Josh Groban, who just played. That was the first time he's ever played Alabama. And we got him to play here, and it was fantastic, and he loved the place. So those kind of things, we're working on that end of it. That seems like the easy part. The more culturally diverse and the community events and knowing that we have to scale a certain way, like Bard in the Yard, for instance, we've been working with A&M and Diana's done a great job of doing this. That's going to be in that space I called the Artist Meadow behind, you know, the Orion. It's a really cool little natural grass amphitheater behind the actual amphitheater, but you can fit, you know, a few hundred people, probably up to a thousand people back there. But so as we look at the space and the flexibility and how we can make it a little more dynamic, that's how we're able to program more culturally and a little more diversely. So we're going to continue to push and push and push. And I think 2023 is when you're really going to see a pretty big push for us across the board, bring in some pretty amazing things across the spectrum. I know you had said uh, uh, in the past numerous times, in fact, that one of the goals is to make Huntsville more of a destination for these big acts that come through so we're not just sort of sitting between Nashville and Birmingham. Do you think that your trajectory is headed in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so much of the feedback we get right out of the gate. And it helps bringing in some of those bigger ones that talk a lot, like Dave Matthews and Kenny Chesney and Chris Stapleton. And I mean, when they give the thumbs up to the the venue and their experience and they're the on audience, social media, and, and, yeah, yeah, they're just raving about it. But then, they, you know, their agents and their managers and their friends. So a lot of people have been talking like, hey, we're really now reworking our 2023 plans because now we're putting Huntsville in the routing, you know, where previously maybe they wouldn't have even come to Alabama, you know, or it's like, hey, and this is something I experienced in Florida. And I think it's nice to be, you know, that took a good decade to build up that reputation. We're here in Huntsville. It's building pretty quickly. And what's happening at the former site of AM Booth's Lumberyard? I know Huntsville Venue Group, which operates the amphitheater, had plans to relaunch that venue as the Meridian Social Club. So where does that stand? I know maybe it, it might be a little bit behind schedule, but still still on the map, right? Yeah, definitely still on the map. So there was just a few you know, road bumps along the way, the typical stuff like... Some of the budget, timeline, construction stuff that kind of held it up. We're kind of doing another uh, stab at it. You know, it's still currently under construction. We just slowed down a bit. So we were hoping to launch this fall. And in fact, we were putting together a pretty cool lineup and kind of getting things together. But unfortunately, we're going to have to bump it probably to early spring of next year. But there's a lot of excitement about it. I mean, it helped kind of pulling the trigger on that and letting people know about that after the Orion because artists and managers and agents have really tuned into it and they love the idea of a venue like that in Huntsville especially downtown so it's still coming I think definitely this fall we'll be announcing a lot about it and then um, you know knock on wood opening in the spring so turning the lumberyard into Meridian Social Club on the horizon what else is out there 
So, you know, um, as I mentioned, you know, the Orion always has to feel like it's evolving, living, breathing kind of thing. So we're working a lot with local artists and national artists um, on the visual art side. And so currently, as we're sitting here talking, I know there's two really large sculpture pieces, actually three sculpture pieces being put in. So we've been working with um, a lot of the people that do installations at Bonnaroo and some of those really cool looking art installations, as well as some local artists. We've been working with artists at Low Mill, some local sculptures sculptures and muralists. And so over the next couple weeks and into the next month, you're going to see a lot of art start popping up around the the Orion, which is going to be pretty exciting. And in addition to that, in the next couple months, we'll, we're going to be building a barn. And this barn is going to be near the dome, near the front um, north box office, near the entrance. And that barn, kind of like a Florabama type looking barn, you know, kind of a place that will be really great for parties. But during shows, it's another point of sale and you know more bars etc but places to have a place to have an event as well but that's going to kind of lean into what's coming which is that big park apollo park that's right north of the amphitheater so the amphitheater itself is going to keep evolving we have more food options coming some really cool exciting stuff that has to do with installations throughout like i said various stages but it's always exciting because the idea that every year there's going to be something different going on not just the programming but the building itself and the facility itself is going to feel like wow, that's something new and exciting that they really just, you know, they brought it up a few notches. Ryan Murphy, thanks for joining us on the Public Radio Hour. Anything else you'd like to add? No, it's my pleasure. Thanks, as always. That was Ryan Murphy, General Manager of the Orion Amphitheater in Huntsville. You can find a full schedule of concerts and events online at theorionhuntsville.com. You're listening to the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 WLRH. This is our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. This coming weekend is a very special time of year for Huntsville's music scene. It's the season of Sluicefest, an annual music showcase that features 36 bands in three days. The festival is related to Sluice Fanzine, one of the publications covering our community's music scene. Brad Posey, host of WLRH's Invisible City, spoke with Sluice masterminds Ashley Jackson and Christina Nava. Here's part of their conversation. Okay, so at the beginning, you know, I did the fanzine. The fanzine's mostly like show reviews. There's some band interviews in there. And I kind of was like talking to a friend and I was like, I think that I want to make this into a music festival kind of thing. You know, like it's a more, um, you know, this, this the fanzine is tangible, whereas like you go to the music festival and while that's tangible in a way, it's kind of like, you know, you can immerse yourself in it, right? So it's kind of like a live action thing, you right. know? Right. Um, and yeah, I got a group of people together to help me organize the first one. And then it kind of just, you know, took off from there. Yeah. The thing I love is like, there's no half-assing with, with uh, Sluice Fest. You no cannot. Way. I was about to you, say, there's you no absolutely way cannot. possible to do B- because, that. Because like, you're like, oh yeah, 30 bands, 20 bands, easy. No, yeah. no problem. Just, you just, you just keep throwing bands. Yeah. And, and I think that's fantastic because, you know, w- when you're doing something like this, from my own experience, you're like, oh, well, I'll just do a few bands. And then next thing you know, like it's your cousin's band, then your your aunt's band, and then that one guy from high school's band. And then and next thing you know, it just snowballs and snowballs. Uh, and you try to contain it. But I, I, I love how how y'all do Sluice Fest. I love that it has such a great variety. And then you got, you know, everybody does their thing. You go outside, you go inside, you know, maybe you drink a beer, maybe you don't, maybe you have a glass of milk. I don't know what all of you do out there, but <laughs> you enjoy yourself and you get to see so much music. Um, I, and I know you can't, you can't say your favorites because it's not fair because they'll go, Ashley, I heard so-and-so was your favorite. And I love then, you all equally. Right, yeah. You're all my babies. All but babies. who are you super excited to see this year? Uh, or should we just say everybody? Well, I mean, I'm everybody. absolutely excited to see everybody. Yes. Yes. It's going to be a really good time having all of these bands interface yes. with that. Like 36 bands in like three days of all of our favorite people. Yeah. So, like, it's very exciting for that. Can we say a favorite? No. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> very Some cool. highlights. Can uh, we give you yeah, highlights? Hi, yeah, totally. Okay, let's Or just maybe, way. just who, top of your head, who, who comes out, you know? Okay. Who, who jumps out? Well, we're all very excited to see this band in Birmingham called Apprehend, 
and um, they have been such strong supporters of Sluice Fest, and it's honestly been such a heartwarming thing having them on the bill and having them. Um, they raffled off a few tickets for us to That's like awesome. the Birmingham scene and everything like that. So having like these. Um, straight support lines into like Birmingham scene and everything yeah. like that has been really exciting. So I'm, I'm really, it's going to be fun having us all together. That's very cool. There, mm-hmm. there does seem to be a lot of mutual love here that I've just, that I've noticed. I mean, I guess it's always been that way, but uh, here recently, like I met a guy named Brian Burks who puts oh, on yeah, shows. Yeah. And there's a lot of mutual love between the Birmingham crew and the Huntsville crew, which is great. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what you want. You want everybody loving each other and having a good time. And that's, Yeah, I feel like that's really, sorry to interject, but that's really part of, like, what is so magical about about this event is that, um, say, for example, you know, we have, like, last year when we had gym shorts who, they came from Rhode Island, you know, um, when we got them to come down, um, we basically gave them an endpoint for to build a whole tour around. That's and awesome. so in yeah. that way, yeah. you're spreading their music around all kinds of, you're, you're messing with other scenes and messing yeah. with is not the right term. That's but, great. You know. That's yeah. great. Yeah. It's like, it's weird because I, I have, from talking to a few, to a few people, it, that it, it, Huntsville is like, seems to be where people are now like just coming. To, to put bands together and 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 just just you know like like instead of like okay well you know we have these bands and then we're sort of like exporting them and now now it seems like people are coming here and going oh we want to be a part of this and form a band here and and be a band from here and which is really exciting to see super fun stuff I agree yeah you know the kids they need to start bands right, <laughs> right. definitely yeah. which well, is like for friday the vip show yes the thing some of the band yeah. one of the bands that i'm really excited about seeing is spirited decay which is a decatur alabama band and i believe that the people in the band are still in high school that's um, awesome so and this is i think maybe their first or second show and to be able to give them like you know a venue oh, like they're gonna have a gold blast. sprint like and yeah. all of the ugh, it feels really great. Yeah. Well, I like everything you sent me. I, I was like, this is really good. This is good. This is good. I, I'm really sweet on like the Wanda band. Me like, too. W- w- Who isn't? Yeah. W- w- like Wanda is like her music. Like uh, I've, I've played her on the show a few times and, and we're going to play a song in a few minutes. But it's interesting to me how someone who sounds like they're not trying Oh yeah, it's so laid back and kind of chill, mm-hmm. and it's effortlessly cool and catchy, which blows my mind. As a songwriter, the harder I try, the worse my stuff is. And I don't, I don't know if she's trying or not trying, but I know that I'm very entertained and I'm a big fan. I like Wanda a lot. Yeah, we love too. Wanda. She does. Yeah, she's been doing a lot for Sluice Fest, like helping us promote and things like that. And she's also giving away. At the VIP show at Gold Sprint on Friday, August 12th, she will be, um, do it, okay. Um, a guitar. A guitar. Yes, <laughs> she's giving away a guitar. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, she's giving away a guitar that T. Shepard's Discount Music has donated to us and her. Um, it's a mahogany court standard grand concert acoustic guitar. Yes. It's a beautiful guitar, and yes, I'm really excited to see who's going to get that. Yeah. There. So, I mean, okay, so if, if you're like, you know, maybe you need some coffee, maybe you need a beer, uh, you want to see some cool bands, and you could even win a guitar. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. So yes. that, and that's Friday the night at Gold Spring. Exactly. <laughs> Chef and, Will, the palate, will and, also be there serving so, up vegan and vegetarian street food on the patio. Awesome. Yeah, we're very excited to have him back for this year. And then um, a vendor that we're also really excited about is the Cow convenience on wheels it's a you know it's like an ice cream truck but it's got like you know sunscreen snacks like whatever (laughs) maybe you forgot at home like this is friday night yeah the the cow will be there all weekend yeah that's awesome yeah that's awesome yeah we're really excited so here's the deal if i show up friday night if i win the guitar or let's say just someone but me if if i win the guitar (laughs) Can I then perform at Sluice Fest Five, perhaps with the guitar that I won? Perhaps. Or, or you, dear listener, 
whoever you, you are, you may win that guitar, and then you can do your thing. And yes. Then, Yes. And then Ashley Jackson may go, you kid, you've got it. You're playing this loose for us. You, you're we're a superstar. We're basically giving you a ticket to become a superstar. Exactly. So please. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Free stuff, great music, food. You know, uh, I mean, I uh, I love Sidetracks. I love Eddie Yesick. Um, us too. He's just he's just a sweet teddy bear of a human being. A gem for our community. And, uh, you know, not not too bad to look at on the eyes either. <laughs> okay. Just throwing that out there, Eddie. Hot stuff. Think, talking to you, baby. Um, anyway, but, um, I should have uh, worn my Eddie shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Sluice Fest, the weekend of August twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. Friday night at Gold Sprint. Saturday starting at three. Yeah. Uh, yep. Saturday and Sunday at Sidetracks. Music the whole time. Mm-hmm. Awesomeness. Lots of bands. Lots of local bands. Bands from out of town. Probably just about any genre you can think of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's really awesome. Uh, thank you for being on the program. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having us. And you can, uh, you, you can show up Friday night, win a guitar. Yeah. Uh, you can get tickets, sluicefest.com. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome stuff. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for being on the show. Us. Yes. So, like, what's going to happen, like, in the coming years? Is, is it, are, are you just going to – are you going to have a 1,000 bands on the next one? Oh, uh, my gosh. Maybe not a 1,000. Like a week. Oh, just a week of Sluice Fest. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine doing it for a week? Like, well, uh, what, what is it at, What in, in Austin, the South by Southwest mm-hmm. thing? We just have Sluice Week. Sluice Week. Oh, yeah. They have a uh, free week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to a week anytime soon. I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it. The amount of, um, you know, 36 bands, which it's 36 bands this year. It's yes. a lot of communication. A lot. It's a yeah. lot of communication. It's you got, you got of, good people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Working, Definitely. working with, with y'all. Yeah. Um, is it stressful? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. You caught us on a day of. of well, a lot of it. You're yeah. always so pleasant and, and always so nice. And, I, you know, I. Like, do you just go, ah, sluice fast? In private, I'm very different, okay? (laughs) You know. If you meet someone who's nice all the time, they're probably not always nice in private, you know? Like, you got to let it out sometime. My friends see it. My husband sees it. You know, it's not that I'm, like, mean to them or anything. It's just, like, you know, I can yell and get loud. Yeah, there's You can tell us, Christina. There's a lot riding, you know, on the whole event. So we each have our own moments of being like, oh, my gosh, this isn't going to work. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And then it always goes back to, like, kind of centering yourself and remembering like why we're doing it which is like we're doing this for our music community we're doing it to spread all the resources that we can to build to grow as a community um, and to put forth like the kind of community that we want to see so well I'm gonna end it on that because I can't think of a more wonderful thing to say me either sluice fest <laughs> rules Ashley and Christina rule thank you all for being on the show thank, thank you for you. having us Thanks to Invisible City host Brad Posey and Sluice Fest organizers Ashley Jackson and Christina Nava for that conversation about this weekend's Sluice Fest Music Festival. 36 bands in three days of fun, starting Friday at Gold Sprint Coffee Shop and then continuing Saturday and Sunday at Sidetracks Music Hall. You can also find information online at sluicefest.com. And you can visit the Invisible City right here on 89.3 HD1 every Friday night at 7 and Saturday nights at 10 o'clock. And be sure to check out Invisible Fest at Fractal Brewing Project on September 3rd. Stay tuned, because right after this break, we'll meet comedian Christy Montgomery. Coming up this weekend on The Invisible City, I am joined by my very special guests, the Frigidaires, who will be back at the Low Mill Arts and Entertainment Wednesday August 17th, plus music from Denzel Curry, Tripping Daisy, Misfits, and a whole lot more. That's The Invisible City, Friday nights at 7, Saturday nights at 10 on 89.3 WLRH. With me, Brad Posey, here in Huntsville. 
For the first time in two years, the Huntsville Ballet Company will take to the stage for a full season of new and traditional performances. In the 10 o'clock hour of Friday's Morning Blend, Philip Otto, Artistic Director of Huntsville Ballet, will catch us up on the latest with the company. There'll be time for your requests, too. I'm Jenny Kennedy. Hope you can join me Friday from 9 to noon on Morning Blend. We've got great news. We've found a few extra tickets to Away With Words Live at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center on September 13th. So if you didn't have a chance to get tickets before, now you do. Just go to WLRH.org, click on support, and then choose a thank you gift. Support from listeners like you helps us host great community events like this. So thanks, and we hope to see you at the show. Next time on City Arts and Lectures... Journalist Michael Pollan takes listeners on an exploration of three psychoactive plants, opium, caffeine, and mescaline, challenging some long-held beliefs and charting our powerful and possibly beneficial attraction to these substances. That's next time on City Arts and Lectures on this public radio station. Catch City Arts and Lectures here Thursday nights at 8 on 89.3 HD1 WLRH. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 WLRH, our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. I'm Brett Tannehill. Let's wrap things up with a few laughs courtesy of Katie Ganaway, host of Arts Underground, which airs Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m. Katie has created a series exploring Huntsville's live comedy scene called Funny You Should Ask. And in the latest installment, we meet comedian Christy Montgomery. Let's talk about how you got into the comedy scene here in Huntsville. In an offhand sort of comment, you talked about how you sort of midge-mazled it, like for Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yes. Can you talk about that? So anybody that's seen the show, um, she, she gets left by her husband. She's got two young kids. That was kind of my situation. I was, uh, not to bum you guys out, but I was <laughs> I was married and had uh, one one boy, another boy on the way, and husband decided he, he wasn't feeling it. So uh, it was pretty traumatic, but I had actually got uh, introduced to the comedy scene right before the divorce because my brother-in-law at the time was Guy Frizzell and he was one of the OG um, comics in the comedy scene along with like Sam Ashby, Thaddeus Blake, um, Scott Eason, Tom Hand, Daniel Coley. So they that was around 10 years ago when they were really starting to get Huntsville Comedy to become a thing mm-hmm. uh, we only had like one open mic at copper top and you know a few small shows here and there i had tried it because my brother-in-law was doing it i've always loved comedy and i had this set start running through my head one day and it wouldn't go away it was in the shower it was when i was driving and i was <laughs> like i guess i'm gonna have to try comedy and get this out of my head so <laughs> i had invited a few people did the set it went well in hindsight it was probably because i invited people who laughed at me (laughs) still was like a you know exhilarating experience so it's like man i did that and then after the divorce you know i'd spent a year just trying to pick up the pieces and figure out my new life and split custody with my ex so there were you know two nights a week i had no kids and i was like you know i'm gonna try this comedy thing again and it's like comedy just pulled me back in and really saved my life um, mm-hmm. because it gave me an outlet that I needed, a very therapeutic outlet that I needed. And um, it was something that was mine that nobody could take. And, I, and that was kind of the thing with Marvelous Miss Maisel. She, she had to find something that was all hers, that, that nobody could take away from her, that no one helped her get. And so uh, it's very empowering to finally have something like that that can't be pulled out from under the rug. You know, I worked hard for it. I went a lot of kid-free nights to to these open mics. So, so after the first night that you you did that set, what was the feeling getting off the stage? Oh wow! Well, the first night it, it was it was amazing. It was uh, it just felt like something I was seriously supposed to do, and, and my brain wasn't going to let me stop until I did it, or my soul wasn't going to let me stop <laughs> until I did it. And it was like I was trying to tell myself, "Oh, that was just a bucket list thing." Okay, I did it, mm-hmm. fine. But 
I just kept getting pulled and pulled to to keep getting back on stage. And I think the ebbs and flows with comedy has always been that way for me. You know, I've taken time off here and there, but it lets me know when it's ready for me to get back on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the comedy scene in Huntsville. How would you describe it in a few words? Well, I would probably describe it in, in two different waves. Like I said, the OGs that really got it started was kind of a different scene back then you know Mm -hmm. we were a family in a dysfunctional way you know (laughs) it wasn't all love and and happy and support it was like Mm -hmm. I'm here you're here get on I'll get on you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. a whole lot um, and I don't mean that in a negative way but you know those are the kind of family you just say whatever do whatever you have your tiffs you do your thing but then a few years, I, I guess right after Stand Up Live, they started doing those comedy classes. Mm-hmm. We got this new wave into the Huntsville comedy scene of uh, these people were so nice mm-hmm. and kind. <laughs> and they were like asking for feedback and they were smiling all the time. <laughs> and we were all just kind of like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's kind of merged in this beautiful mosaic of, you know, mm-hmm. old and new. And and we've kind of the dust has settled and we are who we are and we're bigger and stronger than we ever thought we would be. I mean, how, there's shows everywhere now. How so. do you see it growing beyond beyond uh, what it's become or how would you like to see it grow? Because it is growing. Like it, you yeah. see it po- uh, comedy things popping up everywhere. It's definitely growing. And I mm-hmm. feel I feel like I would like to see some of these younger kids because I feel like an old veteran now but <laughs> some of these younger kids um getting seen getting stage time getting you know paid to do comedy I'd like to see it to where it's and I myself included not seeing the same names on these shows mm-hmm. because I feel like we need that variety and we need to to capture more interest uh, I mean Huntsville's growing so so mm-hmm. we've got to have that variety and and new faces and and I like the support that we have now in the Huntsville comedy scene um, I like that we are supporting each other more and not seeing it as as such a cutthroat kind of thing you were talking about getting new names new fresh faces and stuff like that how are those sorts of people recruited so the open mics are open to everyone so anybody Mm -hmm. can go and sign i mean some people might just be sitting there enjoying a beer and decide that they're funny now those people (laughs) usually get very disappointed when they realize how completely hard it is i mean Mm -hmm. i can't emphasize that enough to the listeners it is so much harder than it looks even those that that seem to be naturals there's still a lot behind the scenes to those sets and those jokes Mm -hmm. so yeah anybody can can try it and some people may try it once some people that's the beauty of it you do it as much or as little as you want to Mm -hmm. there's no contract there's no oh you signed with this one you have to do this you know you might get booked you might not you might I've gone through periods where I haven't been booked for you know four or five months and then I've gone through periods where I have four shows in two months Mm -hmm. It's very accessible to everyone, but you have to work for it because if you want to stand out enough to get booked, (laughs) Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just doing open mics, which is fine. Like I said, it's very therapeutic for some people. Some people maybe aren't interested in ever doing a paid show. Let's talk about the writing process, you know, forming your set. First off, who were some comedy influences to you? in your life or you know now maybe even yeah I would say um I have a lot of of kind of ones that aren't as Top famous three. yeah like Nate Bergazzi um mm-hmm. Bergazzi always say his name wrong and then um <laughs> Mitch Hedgeberg um I grew up watching Comic View so I was like we were really poor so the first time we ever got basic cable I was like binging Comic View <laughs> um so there's, uh, you know, Ralphie May. There's just a lot of, I have a pretty scattered array. Mm-hmm. How did they influence your style of, of comedy? Honestly, I don't know that they did because I, okay. I never set out to do comedy. Right. And I'm a storytelling comic. Mm-hmm. So the writing process for me has always come to me instead of me going to it. Um, so like I'll have an idea that kind of, goes through my mind and I start to craft it into a, a more of a coherent story that is interesting enough to keep the crowd's attention but then always has to be trimmed down after I try it which mm-hmm. is kind of the the case for most of us comics we we 
have a longer story and then we got to get it shorter and shorter but um but yeah the weird thing about me is i'm very type a and every other aspect of my life like i am you know have a very structured order for everything Mm -hmm. except for comedy comedy has been my willy-nilly it comes to me now granted i still documented i still have voice recorder on my phone i still have my jokes you know organized but it's never been a me sit down and write a joke. It's mm-hmm. been the joke kind of writes in my head. And do you extract things from your real life? Yes. So I would say about 90% of my material is true. Okay. <laughs> I, are, there, are there boundaries that you just don't cross? Or is everything yeah. kind of fair game? Or Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely boundaries. And, and some of them we've all learned the hard way. Like mm-hmm. I have, you know, I had a joke about like growing up and thinking I was so cool and thuggish because I like had a black boyfriend and I was this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that joke was funny to me and I knew it was well-mean, but in the end it did not portray itself mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. I would never, ever want to come across, you know, in any kind of way to where it seemed like I was throwing, I don't know, being culturally insensitive in any way. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, you know, I, I take those boundaries seriously and I and I learn from them and I see other comics stumble on other cultural sensitivity issues where they have to pull back and say, oh, I thought that would go OK. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to understand we're all there trying to lift spirits and help make people laugh and, and make fun of things. And um, and I think we all miss the mark on that sometimes and have to pull back and mm-hmm. and make make it uh, either kill the joke completely or find another way to present it. Mm-hmm. So and I'm always open to to feedback from people as far as my jokes. Now, most of my material is not it's not highbrow stuff. People, most of my material. <laughs> It's just either embarrassing stories or sexually related jokes that (laughs) (laughs) allude to things. Um, So um, a lot of my stuff isn't isn't offensive, but well, I'll say isn't offensive. It's it could be offensive to some crowds, (laughs) but for the comedy scene, you know, most of my stuff is is pretty. I don't get into politics. I don't Mm -hmm. get into religion. I'm just kind of that seems to be a a common thing nowadays with comics is, you know, they don't touch on those particular subjects. And I know, you know, just across the board, you know, in regular life, people don't touch on the subjects, too. But I wonder, you know, in the past few years, do you think that has influenced why uh, comics don't really want to touch those subjects? Oh, yeah, there the definitely has been a, a cultural shift as far as I mean, I can even look back five years ago and see some of the jokes that either I wrote or I remember comics doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, that would not fly today at all. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely Talk about growth and change. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more difficult. But that also makes it more challenging to show that you can still be funny mm-hmm. with those boundaries. You mentioned with comedy, you can do it as sort of a means of catharsis or you could do it with a goal in mind, you know, a Netflix show or something, even like huge goals. But keeping a keen sense of humor, what's the importance of that to you? How has that helped you in life? Um, I think it's something that I've always done. It's always been a part of me. I had a pretty rough upbringing, and I think comedy has always been um part of who I am, part of how I've presented to the world. Making people laugh through my stories has always been who what I've done. I never considered doing it on stage, and I surely never considered getting paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so for me, my success I've had in comedy has been unexpected, welcomed, and life-changing. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever had huge expectations as to where I'm going with it as far as, um, no, I never thought I was getting a Netflix special. But also, I never thought I was going to do comedy in front of 100 people. So it has been um, just a, a journey that has brought things to my life that I never thought. It's helped me overcome public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in my day job, I'm in social services. So I help people with disabilities find or get job skills. And so part of what I've had to do is go into classrooms and speak. So getting up in front of a group of teenagers, honestly, is a little more intimidating <laughs> than... <laughs> Uh, comedy shows. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like all of that has happened for a reason. 
that route for me, it mm-hmm. could have gone a lot worse after my unexpected divorce. And I feel like I made a way for myself that's going to help me throughout life. Whether I stop doing comedy tomorrow and never do it again, the experience has changed me for the better. Let's talk about your goals here in the comedy world. Where do you want to land ultimately? Like what's going to be your peak in your head? So it used to be going out of town, doing an out-of-state show, but I've actually got a chance to do that. I've done some shows in Macon, Georgia, Nashville. I think I did one in Florida. So, yeah, being able to go out of town for comedy and and be on the road with comedy was really my goal, to be able to go on a road trip, which isn't easy to do with two kids and split custody and full-time job. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of one of the things was like, Christy, you're not going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But but to see that it kind of happened was huge. But my goal has always been to be booked on Epic, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of, we all look at Epic as kind of one of the biggest shows in in Huntsville, and there's people from all over that come to do that show. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's actually a process now for Epic where we get to submit, so... If my time comes, my time comes. But but no, I've been and I think that was a big thing, too. You talk about goals and unexpected, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, success was the first time I ever got booked was my math- Matthew Tate. You know, I'm just thinking I'm going to open mics to let loose and scream these jokes that are in my head and <laughs> talk about things I couldn't talk about in my day job. You know, and when he approached me for my first show, it was All Right by You Comedy, which was at Tim's Cajun Kitchen back in the day. And. Mm-hmm. I got to perform. I made $7. I was like, nice. whoa, I just got That's paid. That's $7 you didn't have before. Yeah, paid for, for my drink. For your comedy. For seven minutes of comedy. So I was yeah. like, yeah, that that was huge. And, and in my mind, I was yeah. thinking, if I never get booked again, I'm still happy. I can't believe this happened. And then, because mm-hmm. I was thinking, ah, maybe Matthew Tate just believes in me because he's mm-hmm. a good guy. And he's like, I'm going to give Christy a chance. But then I started getting booked mm-hmm. by other, other shows and other people. And I was like, wait a minute, am I? comedian now (laughs) am I doing this it really it snuck up on me it kind of took me a while uh, because I've always suffered with really low self-esteem side note we all do in the comedy scene (laughs) but it's taken me a while to just absorb and look back and say okay I'm one of the Huntsville Mm -hmm. comedians (laughs) and as you mentioned to me before this interview a board member Oh yes, I am a board member talk, at Shenanigans. Talk, yeah, talk about your talk about what like your duties are, what your experience has been. Okay, so Shenanigans Comedy Theater came about a few years ago, and it is a five hundred one c three nonprofit making the arts accessible to everyone. So um, we're inclusive nonprofit that allows anyone and everyone that wants some stage time to have some stage time that could regularly not afford to rent out a theater. You know, we seat over 100 people. So so it's a big deal. We've done Dungeons and Dragons shows. We have a group called Weird Kids Meetup Mm -hmm. for any kids that feel out of place or like they don't belong. And that's grown tremendously. I think there's like over 700 members. Mm -hmm. There are drag shows, there's comedy shows, there's improv, there's, you know, we're, we're just trying to reach anyone that wants to to experience and to have that chance to get on a stage in front of an audience. Does your involvement include forming these show ideas? Kind of. We, we have a monthly board meeting. I, as far as my role, <laughs> I am the secretary. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I am taking notes, but also, of course, have input. But yeah, we talk about what works what doesn't Mm -hmm. what what kind of shows we need to bring back we vote on how to spend the money a little bit of money we're making so donations always welcome but um but no it has been it's definitely in my wheelhouse it's been something that uh i've had experience on boards with my day job and i've had experience with comedy so it's like i get to do do both at the same time so mm-hmm. it's been a really neat experience kim and jessica are awesome they were yes. the masterminds behind all this mm-hmm. and it has just i mean we survived covid guys like mm-hmm. i did a show one time on the back porch that was a driving comedy show so that we could try to still do comedy during <laughs> covid so we're we're not going anywhere we're growing we're we're getting more shows getting our name out there um mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely check out Shenanigans on Lehman Ferry. And, oh, we have a website, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. All right, so we're going to end it with a couple of quick questions for you, Christy. 
do you have any sort of hidden talents other than comedy or unique hobbies that you can <laughs> disclose? Oh, that's a good question. I make balloon animals. What? <laughs> other than snakes like me? I mean, <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, my uncle was a professional clown and he wow. trained me. And uh, so I actually did a set one time where, as I did the set, I made a balloon animal that, you know, coordinated with the set. Yeah. Um, so make balloon animals. Um, I'm a reptile enthusiast. I have snake, lizards. I uh, love, nice. love reptiles. I used to be a reptile specialist at Petco <laughs> in my 20s. <laughs> That's cool. We um, think any other special talent says I can't sing or dance. Um, that may be it. But you can take care of reptiles and I can't. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that would probably be the one that comes to mind that's the weirdest hobby. <laughs> <laughs> the snakes and the balloon animals are not one that you hear a lot, I guess. <laughs> no, not at all. I think that's cool. Um, what is your favorite corny joke, like a dad joke or popsicle stick joke or something like that? Oh, gosh. That's a hard question because I do not care for those <laughs> jokes. <laughs> man, I'm going to have to say N-A. Okay. <laughs> not applicable. And so we'll close it out. Do you have any gigs or shows that you'd like to talk about coming up for yourself or projects um, or, so or shenanigans? Things? I was going to say, yeah, my, my final shout out kind of thing would have to go to Ogre, who if you haven't seen yeah. Ogre do comedy, you've got to see Ogre do comedy. But mm-hmm. he is um, a blind comic in our Huntsville comedy scene. I mean, he can see a little bit, but not yeah. much. <laughs> and and uh, he's a real good friend of mine. He's a very talented comedian, and he helped me get booked for a lot of shows these past Aww. couple of years. So yeah. uh, he needs a ride. He can't drive, and yeah. he'd get me booked. So it was a good good situation, good scenario. Um, however, with cr- life being crazy and hectic, I had to, to fire my free agent and mm. <laughs> tell him I'll do what I can. Thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, then. thank you, Christy, for being here on Funny You Should Ask. And thanks to Katie Ganaway for another great installment of Funny You Should Ask, a series where we hear from comedians in the Tennessee Valley. Find more episodes of Funny You Should Ask and other fun stuff on the Arts Underground page at WLRH.org. Look under programs. That's a wrap for this edition of the Public Radio Hour. You can find a full podcast of tonight's show at WLRH.org. Look under programs for the Public Radio Hour. And tune in every Thursday night for more special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. All made possible by donations from listeners like you. So thanks, and have a great night.